hopefully everybody's suitably caffeinated and ready to go again. So our next speaker is an attorney whose expertise lie in critical aspects of the e-commerce world, protecting the rights and interests of Amazon sellers. With a wealth of experience in this domain, David is a trusted advisor who has helped countless Amazon sellers navigate the often terrifying landscape of online businesses. David's impressive track record includes the successful resolution of numerous Amazon-related disputes, making him a go-to resource for businesses facing challenges in online marketplaces. David's strategic insights and legal expertise are invaluable for safeguarding businesses from the multifaceted challenges that online entrepreneurs encounter. So please join me in welcoming David, who will undoubtedly provide us with valuable insights and guidance on how to navigate the complex legal terrain of online business. Thank you. Thank you very much for that fabulous introduction. Okay. So, um, as Kate mentioned, my name is David. I am a lawyer that represents Amazon sellers. And today we're going to talk about preventing and resolving Amazon suspensions. So, show of hands, how many people have had their Amazon account suspended before? Okay, so quite, quite a few. And what about ASIN suspensions? I'm assuming more. Okay. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So a little bit more about me, um, again, specializing in Amazon-related issues, and we help with listing and account suspensions, brand protection, IP infringement, registrations, and various types of disputes, along with various business law issues. So the challenge of Amazon suspensions, I'm going to cover common suspensions that sellers run into, what causes those suspensions, how to prevent them, and most importantly, potentially, how to reinstate them. So some of the most common suspensions in 2023, and this list changes, I would say, year to year. There are some that would be on my list every year, um, some not as much. So we're going to talk about inauthentics, business verifications, related accounts, along with a slew of others that I see sellers suspended for time and time again. All right, so inauthentic suspensions, these in general, I would say, as long as you have solid invoices are usually the easiest to resolve, but they're very difficult when you don't have solid invoices. So number one, thoroughly vetting suppliers, absolutely crucial. So many sellers would avoid suspensions if they did this before these issues come up. So making sure an online presence exists, again, vital. If your supplier doesn't have a website, very difficult for Amazon to accept your invoices. Another way of preventing this is just monitoring customer messages and negative feedback. Sometimes sellers tend to avoid it. If there's a one-off or there's just a few negative reviews, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cause an issue, but you should always be on the lookout for common issues that sellers have. Also checking for damaged expired products and shipping problems and reviewing the product before you're joining listings. I know a lot of sellers tend to piggyback off of certain listings. Making sure that they match exactly is vital. So sometimes brand names might sound different. Sometimes there's different model numbers. All these can cause inauthentic suspensions. All right, I want to talk a little bit about business verifications. 
I'm sure if you sell in the U.S., you heard about the Informed Consumers Act back over the summer. Um, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because I think most sellers have resolved this. I still see some come through the door, but this was just the law that was passed that requires Amazon to verify certain information for what they refer to as high-volume third-party sellers. And I would say the biggest issue that some sellers had was for was regarding the name and entity on bank statements not ma not matching their Amazon account info. So a lot of sellers had to go to their banks directly and get bank verification letters to resolve it. Okay, related accounts. Seeing a lot of these this year, they are oftentimes tied to business verification suspensions. And this typically occurs when a seller creates an additional account using information that Amazon flags. So it's not always just the name. It could be an address that connects them. It could be Wi-Fi. It could be a variety of different reasons. It used to be where you needed approval to have multiple Amazon accounts. You don't need approval anymore, but you do need what Amazon refers to as a legitimate business reason for the second account. And this is what they mean by that, owning multiple brands and maintaining businesses, separate businesses for each, manufacturing products for two separate companies, or if you're recruited for an Amazon program that requires it. Otherwise, you could be on the hook for related account suspension. Sometimes sellers get away with it for a while, but be on the lookout, and if you have multiple accounts, make sure that everything is truly separate. And other ways that these accounts are linked, I've seen uh, phone numbers, I've seen credit cards, I've seen bank account links. So in general, again, I don't suggest multiple accounts, but if there's an absolute need for it, make sure product categories are separate, the account information is all separate, and I would still go to seller support and get it in writing, even if it doesn't require approval, because I've seen this help with reinstatements down the line. If it was a phone call, we don't have a track record of that, and it's hard to say that Amazon ever approved it. Restricted products. So, so many different areas of restricted products and so many different types of suspensions. So I wanna cover two of the more common ones that we've seen this year. The first one, pesticide claims. Okay, so in your listing, these are some of the most common keywords that are flagged, all right? So preventing bacteria, sanitizes, disinfects, or sterilizes. Using these words on your listings, in general, a lot of sellers are getting flagged for it, so be careful. Medical devices. Devices that potentially are harmful or unsafe. You always wanna be on the lookout. If Amazon can somehow consider that it's unsafe, you may want to look into getting an FDA registration to avoid that. Drop shipping, one of the most fun ones to talk about. So many sellers get suspended for this. I would say about four to five years ago, I don't know the number, but there were so many drop shippers absolutely killing it on Amazon. That number is, I don't know what the number is, but it's certainly a lot lower because a lot of them have been suspended. And most of them, I would say, are violating drop shipping policy and they weren't able to get reinstated. So these are some of the go-to rules that you should follow if you are a drop shipper or if you're planning on drop shipping. So being the seller of record, absolutely huge. If you're not the seller of record, you're already violating Amazon policy. 
Um, making sure that other sellers or contact information is not on your packaging. It just has to point to you. Amazon doesn't want any confusion about who customers should contact if there's some sort of issue. I would also recommend agreements with your suppliers when possible, that you'll be the only person identified, uh, and removing all other information that identifies third-party dropshippers. And lastly, ensuring that you're the one responsible for accepting and processing customer returns. All right, review manipulation. So I think most of these are relatively obvious, but there is some gray area with some of it. So incentivizing reviews. This one is very black and white. No rewards, discounts, or compensation in exchange for a review. I, I don't know how many times I've said this when I've, I've recorded content or posted articles. Still seems to happen all the time. Just not worth the risk. Inserting even a request for positive reviews. This is where sellers sometimes get tripped up because they ask, okay, why can't I insert a request for a positive review if I'm not really asking for anything? Amazon just doesn't want it. If, it, if in some way whatever you're requesting can be turned into what they're calling an incentive, then Amazon might suspend it. So you, you cannot put inserts in, uh, you know, in, in the packaging. And of course, writing reviews for asking family members or friends or employees to write reviews. This one, again, very, very obvious, I think, but I still see it happen, so just something not to do. And be careful with hiring third parties to assist in obtaining reviews. This, I would say, is the most gray area because sometimes sellers will hire other parties to assist in getting reviews. Usually, it's not 100% kosher with how they do it, and oftentimes the seller doesn't really know what's happening. So when it comes to reinstating it, if we don't really know exactly what the company was doing to get the reviews, it makes it that much harder. So in general, ask them what they're doing, have a full play-by-play -play process to make sure that you're in compliance because you're gonna be the one that has the issue, not the party that you hired. Code of conduct violations. Okay, so again, a lot of different areas that fall into this. This is a, a suspension notification of what it looks like. These days, it's combined with, uh, with a drop shipping suspension notice. So these are some of the more common ones, not including drop shipping, contacting uh, customers outside buyer-seller messaging, uh, diverting customers to your own website, big no-no on Amazon, and again, attempting to influence reviews, they have to be neutral. Anytime you do ask for a review, make sure it's in a neutral manner. Otherwise, do not even ask for one. And lastly, attempts to damage or abuse another seller. This is usually related to inaccurate IP claims that are filed. And what we're also seeing now is a lot of sellers or private labels are losing rights to brand registry when they file inaccurate reports of IP infringement. So be really, really careful. All right, IP infringement, so I'm going to talk about trademarks, counterfeit issues, copyrights, and patents. All right, so what is a trademark, right? So a word, a phrase, a symbol that identifies a brand, right? So if you're using well-known brand names in your listings, 
If you're not actually offering them, you shouldn't be using the brand name to begin with. Okay, so you want to always ask yourself, does this create confusion as to the source of the goods? And a common example that I always use is related to describing products or what's referred to as descriptive use. Okay, so if you're selling TVs, right, you're in the TV business and you're describing a product as crystal clear. Okay, now let's imagine someone out in the world owns the trademark crystal clear related to TVs. Oftentimes it'll happen, they'll file a trademark complaint against the seller for using Crystal Clear, and now we have a dispute. So generally speaking, if you're describing your goods, even if a trademark registration exists, you can describe your goods using someone else's mark as long as it's descriptive. So if you're describing your goods when you're offering it. Counterfeit accusation. So this is related to trademark infringement, and a lot of sellers ask the differences. So if you are selling a counterfeit product, you're automatically also infringing on a trademark, but the reverse is actually not true. So you can be infringing on a trademark, but the product doesn't necessarily have to be counterfeit, okay? So vetting suppliers, I, I cannot stress that enough, and I don't think I mentioned company, making sure that the company's information matches. So what I always do is I look at the invoice and I compare it with the website and what Google shows. If the names and addresses and phone numbers and email addresses don't match across all three, Amazon is probably gonna deny it. So what I'd recommend is looking at all of that before you even start offering the product. No, that's a lot of work, but it could just save so much time down the road. Copyright. So copyright is very different from trademarks. This relates to original works, right? So poems or songs or books or paintings all related to copyright law, and it's an entirely different process than trademark infringement. So the most common copyright issues that we see are related to photographs and verbiage, okay? So relatively straightforward to sellers genuinely just using other other photographs that they're not supposed to use, okay? And copying verbiage, which is usually related to, it could be, it could be product descriptions or you know, instruction manuals, things of that sort, just blatantly copying and pasted, and it's just a classic copyright issue. And I wanna talk about what Amazon's policy is with perpetual licenses. So if you're a seller that joins listings, you have what's referred to as a perpetual license to use what's on that listing itself. So any photograph or anything that the listing creator created, any seller is allowed to piggyback off of that as long as you're offering the exact same product. And lastly, in regards to appealing these issues, copyright has a DMCA counter notice procedure. And here's what that form looks like, uh, which sellers get in response to copyright complaints. All this essentially means is when a seller or a company or a law firm files a copyright complaint, the one on the receiving end has 10 business days or can file a, a, can file a DMCA counter notice in response to it. Once that is filed, the one who filed the complaint has 10 business days to file a lawsuit. If they do, now we're in a courtroom and the listing stays removed. 
If they don't file a lawsuit within those 10 business days, the ASIN gets automatically reinstated. So, of course, there's a bit of risk to filing a counter notice because you're essentially opening the door to litigation, but it's very effective in resolving copyright issues when you're not actually infringing. All right, so patents. I'm going to talk about two main types of patents today, design patents and utility patents. So stay with me. I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot at everybody in a, in a short period of time here. Okay, so utility patents protect how products work, right? And it's any new process or machine. So the example, a, a classic example of that is a toaster oven. And a design patent is very different. It's related to what the product actually looks like. So I believe about 90% of utility patent applications are rejected, and 90% of design patent applications are accepted. So that kind of gives you an idea of which one protects you better. All right, utility patents are way more expensive and much wider protection than design patents. Because design patents, in my example here, you can have a Mickey Mouse toaster oven and call it, an, you know, and register it as a design patent. So do with that what you will. How to avoid patent complaints. This is probably the most complex portion of intellectual property. So if you own a product, right, or a brand, you need to make sure that there's no patents that are, that are registered before your product is being sold. So if it's a really unique product, you have to ask yourself, okay, I need to conduct a patent search to make sure that I'm not infringing. I've seen absolute nightmare scenarios where sellers did not do this, and next thing they know they have, it could be six figures worth of inventory that now they don't know what to do with. So you don't want to be in that situation. If it's not your product and you have a supplier for it, ask them if they have a patent or if they have a license to offer a product. And in general, this is for products that are more unique. It doesn't necessarily mean for everything. And in response, Amazon, when a patent complaint is filed, Amazon's requesting letters of non-infringement, okay? Letters of non-infringement from legal counsel. And in those cases, we have to show that the product is invalid, that the patent is invalid, rather. All right, I'm running out of time, so this is a very quick step-by-step -step brief overview of how you should address and resolve IP complaints. So really quickly, reviewing the IP registration, I have two of the, the U.S. government websites here, um, whether the complaint is valid or not. Um, so yeah, feel free to take a quick picture of this, and I, I think this will also be circulated. And of course, lastly, contacting the rights owner. Plans of action to reinstate accounts. Again, I'm going to go through this really quickly. Root causes, try and avoid emotion when you write your root causes. Try and stay on track, stay on topic. Don't talk about other sorts of issues, uh, emotional issues, family problems. Amazon doesn't care how long you've been selling on Amazon, how long, how great you are, a million excuses under the sun, it's not gonna matter. You have to keep it to the particular issue that we're talking about. And corrective actions, that's how we fixed it today. What have we done? Preventative measures is more of the long-term resolution. And again, feel free to take a screenshot. Um, pretty much summarizes what I just said, avoiding emotion and make sure to highlight your important areas. Don't sandwich the meat of your argument or your corrective actions, for example, you know, at the bottom and in really small font. Bold, underline the important points, and you should be just fine.
And that's all I have. Any questions with the...